the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Welcome to the Worldview Media Podcast, Episode 4, The Two Towers, where we're going to, every week, take a look at popular media through the lens of the Biblical Covenant, in the hopes of uncovering uh, hints for storytellers and, and authors and writers with regard to plot and and narrative and all of that. So here we are once again. We're flying without a net. <laughs> nobody, nobody has notes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> we just, <laughs> we just watched the two towers again, and and uh, we're here to just hash it out. So to your left on the radio is Joyce. Hello, Joyce. Hello. <laughs> and to the right is Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Hello. So uh, here we are to talk about the Two Towers, the second in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. All right. Overall impressions, what do you think? Well, it's on par with the first one. <laughs> Put it at the yeah. same level? I think I like this one a little bit more than the first really? one, actually. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I feel like it might be my favorite of the three, but I won't say for sure until we watch the third one. Wow. Okay. So you gave the Fellowship of the Ring an A plus. Yeah. So this gets an A plus <laughs> plus. Well, extra this is like it would it answered the extra credit the extra credit question at the end of the test, uh, so it gets a few extra points. You know. Uh, okay. What was the question? Right. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. What was the test? <laughs> <laughs> this is your scenario. That's why I was asking. It was a general scenario. And mom, you uh, you thought it was on par, huh? Yeah, I did. It's probably not my favorite out of all the three, but uh, you know, this one's a little bit more violent. It's oh, a little well. bit more yeah, it does thirsty. have some. It's, you oh, know, that's true. You know, it's a, of course, you know, epic <laughs> battle scenes. Epic battle scenes. Something is dear to Jordan's heart. <laughs> I don't know why. That's not. That's not really true. <laughs> That's just a coincidence. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, I kind of feel the same way. I would put the two towers up there with the Fellowship of the Ring, but watching it again, I didn't think I liked it as much as I liked rewatching the Fellowship. And I'm not sure why that was. Huh. I mean, I still liked it a lot. There were there were times like the uh, Battle of Helm's Deep when I was honestly feeling nervous and jittery, like I'm the one waiting to go into battle. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's a darker movie. Sure. Yeah, it's a it darker is. movie because you have alliances that really should not have been made to begin with, but because of the other things happened too. So, but uh, yeah, I read originally. I don't believe the two towers should have been. They should have stood separately and against each other instead of being yeah. allies. Right. Saruman did bad by joining his tower with the other tower. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
Let's talk plot for just a little bit in terms of, did you notice any kind of plot holes or anything like that? Well, I don't know if it's so much a plot hole, but the thing that has sort of bothered me about it for a long time that I remembered when we were watching it again is in the very beginning when uh, <laughs> when we that. when we see Gandalf, uh, you know, we're like back in the first right. movie and he falls and he's fighting the... The yeah. fire thing and stuff and then <laughs> and then Frodo wakes up all freaked out and, and Sam's like oh Frodo are you okay and he's like yeah I was just having a dream did he dream that whole thing or just the Gandalf falling off the thing part that he actually knows because we see the whole thing as if he had been dreaming the whole thing and he kind of reacts like maybe he had been dreaming the whole thing but how would he know that yeah I'm not sure it's <laughs> oh, good beef I, yeah, I got the feeling that when he sees Gandalf fall and, and then we see the big battle as they're falling, 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 which I think if you, I'd like to have somebody, like if we have a math consultant among our listeners, I would like a math or a physics consultant <laughs> to. Can you really? Yeah, to count how long the they fall. were falling. And then 32 feet per second squared acceleration as they fall. And then at some point you hit a terminal velocity where you don't keep gaining speed. Yeah. But what they fall? For like a minute and a half? Where, a <laughs> I'm thinking they fall right to the center of the earth. I don't My word. They fell for a long time, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. But we need a math consultant to figure out exactly how far they fell. But I felt like that whole thing was what was what Frodo was seeing in his dream. Does that mean it was wrong? Well, we find it? out that it was right. Yeah, right. But so then how, why would he be dreaming that? Right, right. Well, because they don't live in a materialistic, naturalistic uh, universe. Supernatural things happen well, there. Okay, but, but still, what's the point of Frodo seeing these things? So that we can see them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Okay, that's fine. I don't, it's not a big deal, I guess. <laughs> well, I think in that scene, what I really liked was that, you know, Gandalf knew, okay, this is it. He wasn't planning on coming back from that. <laughs> yeah. But still, his intent was to rid rid the world of this uh, beast yeah. and you know and he was he was committed to that if i'm going to go out i'm taking you with me <laughs> <laughs> right, right and so just that attitude i think is is really pretty neat yeah okay uh the only plot hole that i can think of is i am confused watching the movie about distances between one place and another because it sure does seem like these urukai cover what I'm thinking is hundreds of miles, and they're covering these distances in a very short period of time. Well, but then that goes back to being the supernatural creature. Well, but it might not even be hundreds of miles. Like, we assume that Middle Earth is this big old huge place, but it could yeah. not be. Right. Like, we don't know the scale see, on yeah. that map. Just see the map, not the scale. Well, yeah. but in that, in that regard, too, I mean, Gimli, who is a dwarf, Running for three days, you know, that seems a little bit... <laughs> or anybody much. running for three days. Yeah. Who does and, you that? Know, well, yeah. elves. <laughs> yeah. Right. And 
and the place where it was most egregious to me, this thing, is when the forest, when Fangorn gets up and moves from where it is to Helm's Deep. And, oh, you know, yeah. My word. And you see how fast the forest is moving. They're not sprinting or anything. They're, you know, they're barely going. But they show up there in time to end the battle. Uh, so for me, some of that was a little bit... What in the world are the distances that we're talking about here? Sure. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure I... We might run across some other plot things, but generally I think I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. In terms of figuring out all of that. Okay. Uh, normally I ask about character motivations and if it all made sense, but it's my contention that in this movie, character motivations are kind of the the thing. Uh, we find that quite a bit. Hmm. So let's move on to the five-point covenant model, okay. and we will ask about transcendence. And again, in the Bible, transcendence is generally shown by referring to God's uh, position as the creator of all things. He's also the one who brings redemption. He's the only revealer of truth. He's the ultimate lawgiver. How do we see transcendence? How's it pictured, or what is transcendent in the two towers? Any ideas? Well, uh, I guess we get a lot more of the sort of the dream stuff because we didn't just have the Frodo thing, but also Faramir has his dream about Boromir dying, and oh yeah, so this sort of you know, visions coming from somewhere, from someone to tell people, like, truths, right. which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So somebody is revealing things that should not have otherwise been known. Yeah. Right. Well, and you see that with Gandalf coming back, too. I mean, he says, I came back and now I'm Grand Gandalf the White because... Yeah. This Who gave him that promotion? Yeah, yeah. and he, yeah. Says, he says that he was sent back, <laughs> right, so right. there had to be a sender. Yeah, I think that whole scene where he's talking about whatever happened, he traveled through space and mm -hmm. time or whatever that was. It was it's a weird scene, but yeah, clearly it had something to do with like an afterlife thing and well, and somebody else being in charge. Yeah, and, and somebody else being in charge, somebody who gave him a a promotion. That, well, and and that someone isn't allied with the two towers. Right, it's actually. A power against them because that's why he's coming back. Right, it's it's a good power yeah. that's sending him back to accomplish a mission. Mm. And maybe that goes back to when they were in Mordor, and he was saying, you know, I've got to think there's something more than just evil. Oh yeah, and so right. Coming into contact, there with are that. forces for good that we don't quite know everything about, but yeah. yeah. And then even Sam kind of has his little speech where he sort of talks about the same kind of thing about how like. Can't it looks up. really bad, but yeah. we can't give up because there is good. There's something worth fighting for. Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about the revelation that happens through the dreams, but that's a good point. Somebody's revealing those things, and that's a transcendence issue. And what I thought about was the Gandalf incident. And, and maybe this is a plot thing or just something I've never understood. Was he resurrected from the dead or was he? did he have a near-death experience? Or I feel like I've always felt like he was dead and then he came back. 
came back from the full dead. That's what it Not yeah. mostly dead. Yeah, but. I kind of always thought just <laughs> <No>. dead. <laughs> well, and I think, yeah, I think that's the, the image you get of him saying, and he smote him and he was ready to, you know, it was done and it was over and that was okay. Okay. Well, I've I've always kind of thought that it was just near death. That was my take on it, but... Well, but even when he came back, his appearance was different, you know. Yeah, like his whole... Right. You know, he he wasn't like the same guy that fell down. <laughs> right. Whatever it was, he was in contact with that transcendent power. And, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, hmm, that changes you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Imagine. <laughs> right. Well, the other thing that... Um, I'm kind of looking ahead. The other thing that makes me wonder if it was real death or just mostly dead is... Uh, then in the next movie, when he's talking to Pippin about what it's like on the other side and stuff, is he talking about, he seems to be talking about something that he believes is ahead for him as well as Pippin, that they're both going to go to this far country. And then, you know, at the end, he's sailing away on the ships to the undying lands, and which is symbolic is spoiler of death. Alerts? Yeah, yeah, spoiler. <laughs> no, it's too late now. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that all kind of makes me think that he was just mostly dead in this movie, and hmm. but dead enough that he was. Well, maybe it was just a different kind of dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, like a like a different variety. It's a slightly different flavor. Many categories of dead. You don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe it's ambiguous on purpose. Maybe that was, I kind of feel like, as much attention to detail as is, is paid throughout these movies. Yeah. When well, something is ambiguous. Well, I have to wonder if looking at the, at the book, is there something more definitive in the book that, that says, you know, because usually sometimes these things are a little bit maybe yeah. not as solid in a movie just because they don't have the time. Or right. You just can't translate them well or something. Right. And I read the books, but it's been years ago, and I... I honestly don't remember. So. Well, and Gandalf isn't in the books like a regular yeah, guy. Right. He's like more he's like some an elf kind of or, special. Yeah, he's a supernatural being of some yeah. kind. Yeah. So maybe there are There's different like things too. going on. But I think too, when he comes back, that he's uh, he's different. You know, he is he is different. He's not the same character we saw previously. He, you know, he still has some memories of the people that he associated with, and you know, and just like when he's like, "Oh yeah, that that is my name. That's that's who I was, but now I'm this person." And so, I think there's a shift in in who he is that he's a little bit more, um, maybe not quite as playful as he used to be before, and he seems a little bit more serious and a little bit more uh, goal oriented, like he's matured. Yeah. Oh. You know, moving forward, and I'm here, and I'm here for a reason, and so we got to get this stuff done. Right, yeah. But even in all that, he's really not certain it's going to be successful. I'm, I think he has high hopes. Yeah. But I, there's still some question. Yeah. Will it be successful? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And, uh, Saruman at one point accuses him of having a newfound piety as well. And uh, mm -hmm. 
is that what the the white robes symbolize there? And you know, he he takes off his outer garment and flashes everybody. Yeah, with <laughs> oh, well, his new whiter garments. <laughs> the piety itself is that where the power comes from, and are we now getting into overtly religious? Well, you look at his garments, and it's, it's all white. Well, but Saruman's had been white, so he's just at the same station that Saruman. Right. His, yeah. um, his staff has also changed. I mean, yeah, there's, he's got a there's new difference, staff. differences. Yeah. Sure. And he tells them, you know, I'm, this is who I am, and this is why I'm this person. Right. Very interesting. I think it was a little bit ambiguous. I would like to have that explained a little bit more, but it was pretty cool, pretty yeah. interesting. All right, so there obviously is a transcendent power that we're dealing with in Middle-earth. Now, we go into the second part of the covenant, which is hierarchy, and it's talking about representation, and specifically, who gets to represent that transcendent power. In the Bible, that would mean like prophets, priests, and kings who stand between the people and God in order to serve God and serve the people. And... Uh, they play the role of mediators. And so if we acknowledge that there is a transcendent supernatural power behind these stories, then who best represents that? And for me, is there an answer other than Gandalf? I, yeah. Hard pressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially now that he's had this experience. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. This moment of... Sure. He's even more a representative. Or... Yeah. Right. What about that horse thing, Shadowfax? He's nice. It, it, it kind of... Nice horse. <laughs> the re- <laughs> yeah, he's a, he seems perfectly nice. But, <laughs> my, <laughs> but, but my thought is there's something supernatural with the horse, too. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. He's not a normal horse. He's some kind of supernatural horse. And in a very... In a much lower way, I kind of feel like maybe Shadowfax himself is a representative of this higher power. He he comes mm. to aid the good people and, and mm. stuff like that. And he has a position of exalted. He's exalted somehow over all the horses. Gandalf calls him the Lord of Horses. And, yeah. So. And he's like the only white horse that we see, isn't he? Uh, I think Legolas has a white horse. Well, but not white the same way that... Shadowfax is white. Well, and the other thing about uh, Shadowfax is that he's uh, he has no saddle. Yeah, he's just like okay, <laughs> he's yeah, not a tame horse. Yeah, you're you not know. gonna you're not gonna saddle me. <laughs> you know, he'll he'll consent and say, okay, yeah, I'll help you out, but you know, he's yeah. um, set apart. Yeah, the elves again, like in the last movie, I think the elves obviously have supernatural things going on. We see Arwen. <laughs> find ways to communicate with uh, Aragorn on a couple of different occasions. Yeah. Well, even when they talk back and forth between the two of them with uh, Galadriel and Elrond. Oh, yeah. You know, you're like, and that was a little bit like, okay, uh, what's going on here? Is this like uh, smoke signals? Are you reading each other's minds? Right. How is this cell phone? What? (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. I do kind of think that's cool, though. They, they just can read each other's minds from a distance, Long tell each distance, other stuff. telepathy, yeah. Then we get into the portion of the covenant. The third point is ethics. We talk about, in the Bible, when we talk about the ethics portion of the covenant, think of 
uh, the body of the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is going through once again the Ten Commandments and the and the case laws applying the Ten Commandments and and it's all about this is what you should do and this is what you're not allowed to do and and so for those in the covenant it's the ethics section that defines the boundaries what what are my responsibilities and what are yours mm -hmm. and so uh, for me I think that as we evaluate fiction one of the easiest ways to figure out what's going on ethically is to point to moral crises, especially those that are encountered by our heroes and how they deal with those. So are there thoughts in your mind about particular moral crisis from the main characters? Well, we get to meet Gollum. You know, he's oh, been yeah. kind of a Gollum shadow. Oh, yeah, Gollum shows up. Yeah. And we've just kind of, he's lurking on the outside. We know a little bit about his story, and then there he, he is. He's after the ring. And so the difference between the way um, Sam and Frodo see him is interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are two approaches to yeah. dealing with him. You know, because Sam sees him and just says, this is a fallen creature. There's absolutely no hope for him. We can't trust him. We can't have him here. He needs to be somewhere else. And Frodo is, is has a little bit more pity on him and kind of remembers what Gandalf told him and said, you know, I can see, I can see why somebody would pity this creature instead yeah. of just wanting to destroy them. Well, but I also kind of feel like Frodo feels that way about Gollum because he's kind of afraid of ending up sort <laughs> yeah, of in right. the place that yeah, he is, well, and he wants closer. to believe that there's yeah, going right. to be hope there's for him redemption. too. Yeah, yeah, way back. Yeah, from whatever the ring does to him, he wants to be able to come back. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that when he said, I have to believe that there's a way for him to come back, it's because he wants to believe that about himself. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think right. you see that in this movie that being the ring bearer really is a weight on him that sure. he didn't realize as he started off and that this is becoming a heavier load to carry this thing. Right. And... Uh, so it's a hard it's a hard thing for him, and he's struggling with that. And it, you can see it's kind of wrapping its little tentacles around him and kind of changing, changing him how he behaves, right. uh, how he reacts, and uh, and then he looks horrified when he realizes that oh my gosh I just I just did this <laughs> that was a horrible thing that wasn't me yeah 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 I thought that was a big deal. Uh, Gollum, brand new, well, not brand new character, but he's he was on the he was on the fringe in the last movie, mm -hmm. and now he's exalted. He's a main character mm -hmm. now. There's no two ways about it. And mm -hmm. He's got his own ethical crisis yeah, going he does. on. <laughs> I was just gonna say, he's got his own situation happening. Right. So, Jordan, did you notice any moral crisis in particular? I think. One of the main things that I really picked up thinking about it was that, like, uh, a lot of the characters, their struggle in this movie seems to be whether or not they're going to, like, lose hope or keep sure. on going. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so, and then, like, Legolas, because in Helm's Deep, right before Helm's Deep, he kind of loses it, you know? Right. But then... <laughs> Yeah. But then he goes to Aragorn afterwards, and he's like, "Look, I I shouldn't have done that, and I messed up, and I'm I'm sorry, and I believe in you, and and okay. this, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm with you <laughs> here and stuff." And so, 
that I think was kind of a bigger moment because we sort of see all these struggles and stuff, and then he kind of, you know, he it shows a little bit of imperfection. Yeah, there. yeah. and then he, but he he recovers from it and he does the right thing and he's yeah, right. yeah. Well, and I think you see that too with Elron uh, and uh, Arwen. He's saying, you got to leave. you got to get out of here. There's nothing here for you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Get on the horse and get out. <laughs> right. And then, you know, she says, wait just a minute. This isn't done. You know, I see, I do see a future. And I do see, and, and you know, because you saw this too. And well, so, she hasn't done that yeah, yet. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> spoiler ahead. alerting. Spoiler ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. Jeez. So that didn't happen. <laughs> but... You see At least that you were he's, being so vague. <laughs> you see that he's saying, there's nothing here for you. You have to leave. There's no hope. And, but yet, when Gladriel says, what are we going to do? Yeah. Do we stand with him or do we let him fall? And he says, well, I guess we got to stand with him. Yeah. So there's there's that mix with him, sure. too, that, well, I don't want my right. kid here, but okay, if we're going to do this, then... Yeah, I think that's right. Well, y'all have kind of hit on what I thought was the thematic moral crisis. Uh if you remember in the last movie, I, the Fellowship, what struck me is that all the main characters had to deal with the temptation of the ring. Mm -hmm. And and how they dealt with it was kind of a defining thing for them. Yeah. The good guys are the ones who are not falling to the ring and, yeah. and stuff like that. And I really felt like this moral crisis that we're talking about here was thematic for this movie. Because now it's not the ring that they're having to deal with, but it is this temptation to despair mm -hmm. and to lose hope. And how do the main characters deal with this? And frankly, like you've both pointed out, the uh, it's not as easy to draw that harsh line between the bad guys and the good guys. Because a lot of the good guys in the movie, it's a more complex thing in that a lot of the good guys kind of waver and need somebody to come alongside them and lift them up and mm -hmm. restore their hope. And what we see that all the time. Arwen, when her dad does show her a vision of the future, yeah, she does bleak. lose hope and, and she does get in line and head for the ships and stuff like that. And then nothing else happens. <laughs> and then well, nothing else happens. Yeah. She keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> but even, um, I'm thinking of Faramir, and you see... You know, yeah. a little inset of what his relationship was with Boromir, with his brother. Yeah. And how the dad, you know, it seems like he was just always trying to pit the two of them against each other, but they still had a, a good relationship in spite yeah, of... Yeah, they still loved each other. In spite yeah. of what the dad was trying to do. And, and just that, you know, there's just a lot of angst in that, <laughs> that a parent would be like that. And that here's this guy just wanting to do what's right, trying to do what's right, and it's just not enough. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, Faramir's crisis was interesting in that it was a, it was a, of a little bit different flavor than the despairing because he was kind of despairing when the movie opens. You know, at the yeah. beginning he's despairing. He's he's uh, being all philosophical about war and death and the enemies on the other side and mm -hmm. and uh, and he's obviously got the daddy issues and stuff and and dealing with that and at the end makes a really heroic decision that I need to do the right thing. Regardless. In spite of, yeah, in spite of what the consequences physically are for me. But you can see it was really more than that because if he had delivered that ring, at least in his mind, maybe this fixes all the daddy issues and maybe he suddenly gets from his father what he's been been denied all this time. 
stuff like that. So it was a big deal that he yeah. finally left. But I don't know if that was because of what they told him of what happened with Boromir. You know, that he said... Oh, I'm sure that played a part. You know, if this yeah. ring has this effect on my brother, who I think is a good guy... Yeah. You know, what's it going to do to my dad, who... <laughs> Already a bad guy. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> who obviously has some problems knowing what's right and what's wrong. Right. You know. Yeah. You know, maybe that was some helpful insight to him, too. Very interesting. And, and uh, but if I could go back just a second, the, the moral crisis that I thought was very prevalent was this, how do we deal with the temptation to give up hope and, mm-hmm. and just give up in general? And uh, as a Christian, what's our response to that? I think that what the movie displayed is perfectly valid for Christians in terms of, you think of, uh, think of Frodo, especially in his temptation to give up and to think that it's fruitless and hopeless. And it was his brother, it was Sam, who continually came to him and was able to, uh, in a non-judgmental way, but he's able to lift him up and understand yeah. his burdens and and uh, repeatedly kind of lift him up. And we all need that as Christians. So I think that was very valid. And uh, but the other thing we have that they didn't have in the movies was, uh, you know, we have the Word of God and we have promises concerning the future. Mm-hmm. And so losing hope for us is more than just an unfortunate thing. It's a sin. You know, we're not allowed to lose hope because mm-hmm. we've got we've got promises. You kind of felt like in the movie, if any of these characters had lost hope, well, that's just that's just rational. You know, look at what's going yeah. on. And <laughs> any sane being is going to lose hope. You know, but we're not allowed to do that. It's sinful for us to lose hope because we have a foundation that they don't even have in the movies. And, Stuff like well, that. but in that same vein, I think a lot of people find themselves in desperate and bleak situations and just think, what what good can come out of this? Right. And it's hard when you're there because yeah. it feels like you're not going to come out of that. And so that's really, like you were saying, it's really so important to have our scripture and to, to remember that God is faithful, even in yeah. those dark times, and yeah. and that you're not alone. Yeah, in fact, it, uh, as you were saying that, it... I'm transferring one-to-one. The situation that we have in America today, it seems like everything's burning to the ground and, and structures and, and mm-hmm. things that we have relied on, they're all crumbling and uh, pretty easy, I think, to look at those and, and be tempted at least to despair. And uh, so I think we need to do exactly what they did in the movie, understand each other, uh, sympathize and empathize and be able to encourage but like you say relying ultimately on the promise of God Hmm. so and then in that as well you know when they were in a better place leaving going (laughs) in a better place going towards Mordor (laughs) (laughs) Mountain you know and Sam is telling Frodo you know they're going to tell great stories about us and well mostly you is what he was saying (laughs) Frodo he's a brave guy and and then when he said and then you know, don't forget Brave Sam. He's like, come on. <laughs> don't <laughs> make just, fun. Yeah. yeah. And and really, he didn't realize the important, how important he was, yeah. is in this journey of Frodo's. Frodo yeah. really yeah. could not do this without him. Yeah. We have a lot of Christians who kind of think they're the 
you know, they're the knuckle on the pinky toe of the bo- <laughs> body of Christ. And, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're kind of in that place where, no, you need to understand you really are vital. We don't have you, we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. You, anything else come to mind uh, on ethics? Well, I think of uh, Eowyn uh-huh, right. and just uh, Worm. Worm Tongue. Worm Tongue. He has another one in front. Is it Grimmer? Grimmer Grimma. 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 And again, like you were saying, with the despair and everything that was going on in Rohan and just um, looked so terribly dark. Yeah. You know, there's no way to come out of this. He was the king was guarded. You can't get entrance. Right. And then you know things changed. Yeah, Grima. Thinking about it in those terms, he kind of he's an embodiment of something. A serpent. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we talk about Gandalf kind of representing the transcendent power, but Grima, when we think about the kind of thematic thing about how will you deal with despair, Grima kind of is despair, yeah. and he's. That's his whole purpose is to get the get the people to is that what happened to Theoden, King of Rohan? He just began to listen too much and and that that crusty old blind man that he became yeah. that that's what despair does to you or a, that's a physical image of it or mm-hmm. he was under the spell of Saruman for yeah. sure he was possessed but uh, but was it despair that well, open that up. It has to be because even when his son was coming back and injured and wounded, he was incapable of doing anything. Right. He was so petrified by. Yeah. Solidified, calcified is the word I'm looking yeah. for by despair. Mm, yeah. That's a good word. Calcified. Because that's really what he looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I broke out calcified. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Oh, you know what? There was another ethical concern that kind of runs through here. And apparently Tolkien uh, really believed that the move toward industrialization was a, oh, uh, was yeah. a moral evil. Because oh, uh, the trees. And right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's sad for right? me because he had moral reasons for thinking along those lines that I think that you could get a rabid sort of materialistic evolutionist watching this movie and just be cheering for the environmental message that it might seem to put out. Well, as one who lives in the desert or the land of no trees, (laughs) you know, I definitely see the value of that. And for me, sometimes I think when Scripture gives us the the command to have dominion, I think sometimes... We say, well, that means we can just do whatever we want to because yeah. we can do whatever we want to. Right. And and it's stewardship. You have to take care of what you're given. Yeah. Yeah. If that is, you got trees where you live, then take care of those trees. <laughs> if you got trees in the desert, take care of those trees because, you know, trees are nice in the <laughs> desert, <laughs> but it's a stewardship issue. And, and so often I just think that that gets skewed as well in the opposite way that we can just run rampant and do whatever we want to. Sure, right. But I think it's important, though, you mentioned dominion and the dominion mandate, and I think that the Bible's vision of stewardship is radically different than the modern environmentalist vision of stewardship. 
because I think modern environmentalism is founded on the idea that pristine and untouched is the goal. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the goal. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the goal now. After the Dominion Mandate, that's not the goal. The goal is to take command of the world and its resources. Yeah, and make it useful. Yeah, and do the right things with those resources and actually build something. And uh, you remember when Bojadar was here and we were talking about what places we enjoyed visiting and what what scenery we thought was nice. And he said something that I thought was kind of radical at the time. He, he said uh, he really felt like the big cities like New York and stuff like that, that... Mm-hmm that there's something about those cities that he finds beautiful in terms of dominion because it represents man taking resources and and building something useful and and you know these are air conditioned buildings and yeah. and it's all you know it provides a standard of living for the humans there that's way better than what like the native americans had you know <laughs> yeah, running around on that same spot or <laughs> right right yeah. And uh, so that's very interesting. And so what I see is the, that's the main difference between uh, modern green earth worship and biblical dominion. When we start talking about stewarding the environment, we're stewarding the environment for the glory of God. And that may mean cutting down some trees to make lumber and and build something. Well, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying... You need to be responsible sure, with what you're right. doing. Oh, and I wasn't accusing you of being that. Okay, so the main difference that I'm seeing between stewardship and uh, the greenies and the earth worship is that they really believe that the goal is to remove man and the influence of man. And I think we would be on the side of saying man is supposed to responsibly use the resources, but he is given dominion and he is Mm -hmm. given a charge to build something to the glory of God. But we do also see in this movie that the stuff that they were building was definitely not to the glory of any sort of good thing. So in that that case, that caveat, you see that there's that difference. Right, sure. Yeah, he was building because for the it wasn't just industrialism; it was like evil industrialism. Well, it was <laughs> it was intentionally destructive. Yeah. Yeah. With it, no good coming out of it. Yeah, right. and not wanting any good to come out of it. You know, like it wasn't sure. like misguided; it was like purposeful evil. Yeah. And that right. would be wrong, even if it didn't have anything to do with cutting down trees. Yeah, exactly. In Christian terms, if if it was a overtly Christian movie, it was an antichrist industrialization, you know, and uh, not building like Rivendell or something yeah. like that. because they had yeah. to build Rivendell. Yeah. And they had to build that elf place, <laughs> the nice one that's too weird. Lorien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay, so point four of the covenant, there may be other ethical things, but we'll move on. Point four is on sanctions and rewards. We're talking about Deuteronomy chapter 27, 28, blessings and curses, and how we're rewarded for either our covenantal faithfulness or our unfaithfulness. Do we see anybody uh, getting what they deserve or getting the just fruits of their actions in this movie? The only one that comes to mind for me is uh, Saruman at the end and how Mm. everything that he did build in opposition to... Mm everything good and holy uh, it all 
it's swept away in a flood, yeah. you know, like Noah and stuff like that. So neat imagery there. The other thing that I was thinking of was uh, when they when Theoden was brought back and, and they were deciding what to do with Warm Tongue. Because uh-huh, right. I feel like he would have been right to go ahead and kill him like he right. was gonna. But then we have Aragorn being like, don't do that right now. And that kind of confuses <laughs> me because I feel like we're always supposed to... I feel like the narrative is kind of set up so that we're supposed to be like, yeah, Aragorn is right. Yeah. But I feel like in that moment, I'm like, dude, go ahead and just take do him out. it. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, right. So that's an interesting, weird one for me. But it's like Aragorn expects there maybe to be some other judgment that's going to happen at some point further oh, yeah, on. Neat. You know? like, He's able to have mercy now because he knows... Nobody gets away with anything, ultimately. I mean, that's the only way I can accept it. (laughs) Right. Okay. Yeah. I see that. I see that. He sure was about to get what was coming to him. Yeah, but then he he didn't quite. Right. And then he got to go and help. But he will. Oh, spoiler. Oh, darn. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Uh, in that case, then, you know, the orcs going across the plain with Merry and Pippin, you know, they got what they deserved. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. The minions of evil yep. got what was coming to him there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Anyone else we um, can think of? Well, did Gandalf get what he deserved? Oh. Oh, in his promotion? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, He's yeah. obviously more blessed than he was before. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, his victory over the demon of the ancient world and, and all that, yeah. he, he's obviously rewarded for that. And then again with uh, Theoden, you know, he was in a bad place. Yeah. And he he was brought back from that, too, where he had his right mind and was yeah. able to rule his people again. And and then for a while, he's just filled with regret, it looks like to me. Yeah. Did he, did he maybe think that he was morally culpable for what had happened to him in his blindness and in that state that he was in. Did he feel like he was responsible for that? Or? Well, not just that, but even, you know, the, the loss of his son. Yeah. yeah. That he should have been there yeah. and present and stuff, and he just wasn't. Okay, right or wrong, that I think that's obviously how he felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I tend to, I tend to think, just because of the discussion we've had, I tend to think he's probably right in that... Uh, he didn't have to ever listen to Wormtongue, and he didn't ever have to let Saruman. Well, to have take that kind of character and, sit by yeah. your side at the throne, right? You know, yeah. What was that? He why yeah. are you letting him sit there? Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Okay, uh, let's move on to point five, which is succession. What do you see for the future for these characters? Another movie. Another movie. <laughs> Yeah, it may still be that thing where it's too early to tell exactly what's going to happen. Well, I think I'm seeing a shift in uh, Aragorn. You know, we we saw him back in the Fellowship, and he was kind of a reluctant there you go. traveler. Yeah. And we see him time, kind of being more of a leader. Yeah, and coming out sure. and yeah. kind of saying, well, Theoden, you know, you should be doing this. And he's like, hey, I'm the king here. I don't know who you are. What, are you acting all kingly now? <laughs> yeah, you know, but right. you, you do kind of see a shift in him that he's right. maybe 
getting a little bit more willing of accepting who he is. Right. Yeah, I, th- I saw that too. And then in in Helm's Deep, he kind of he's, he's taking charge. Yeah. You know, he's working Commanding beneath things. And... He's working beneath Theoden for sure. But uh, when you talk about a change from the previous movie, uh, there was a conversation that Aragorn had with Boromir about how uh, I will not take the ring within the hundred leagues of your city, and yeah. you know it's your city. Mm-hmm. They're your people, and I'm not going to have anything to do with them. And now he's saying, hey, if they're all going to die, I'm going to die as one of them. And so mm-hmm. he's identifying with the people, and yeah. even as he's functioning as a leader. So, yeah. Well, even in that identification, he is actually different from his cohort because he's a Dunedain. You know, he's been yeah. around for a really long time. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. he's the same, but different. <laughs> right. Right. I wonder... Somebody else will have to think about this, but now that we're talking about it, I wonder about the ethical crisis. Was there an ethical crisis involved in him realizing that Eowyn had some had a she was sweet on him, obviously. Uh, had a little bit of a crush. <laughs> right. And how well, because does... she does kind of let it slip when she's talking to him about how, your friends are all staying here because they love you. <laughs> and then he looks at her like, what? Um, excuse me. <laughs> That's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there. <laughs> That's a little inappropriate. <laughs> but I don't think he ever did anything to encourage that type of feelings on her part. You know, he was just... Right, right. Being himself. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so the future remains to be seen for a lot of these, but uh, I think the plot-wise, I think the makers of the movie do a good job in maintaining tension. Mm -hmm. You know, the future still looks pretty dark. for tenuous. Right. Now, I felt like... The scene right at the end, after the Battle of Helm's Deep, where now you've got all our main characters sitting on horses and they're looking toward Mordor. And, and Gandalf says, the battle for Helm's Deep is over, but the battle for Middle-earth is about to begin. Yeah. To me, that was just cheesy. That was just like, stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, you know, yeah. and, uh, I just thought that was a complete... Uh, I also kind of syntactically with that line, I was like, does the Battle of Helm's Deep not count as the battle for Middle-earth? Because, like, this is over, but we haven't even started this other one yet. I would say that this was the beginning of that. Like, I feel like the line should have been, has just begun and not is about to begin. Just from a, like, a syntactic point of view. Yeah, surely we're already fighting for Middle-earth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so overall grades, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, yeah. all around. Yeah. Yeah, I admit that I probably, watching this one the second time. See, I remember thinking before that I really liked the Two Towers, and I really loved the Battle of Helm's Deep. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was great. It was, it's right up there with the Braveheart battles and stuff. And, yeah. And, uh, but this time, I think I got more joy out of re-watching The Fellowship of the Ring than I did watching this one. Maybe it's because it's darker. Yeah. I mean, it did have an effect on me, like I say. I got nervous and, you know, <laughs> ready to go fight some Urukai and stuff like that. But. <laughs> so maybe a little bit less for me, but y'all are, y'all have got it right there at the top. Okay. Well, I guess that's so a lot. So you don't give it an A+. Plus? It's a, 
it's a it's an A plus. <laughs> Does ninety eight still count as an A plus? Well, it's not a ninety five or a ninety four. I'm not sure if I had to say what I didn't like about it. I'm not sure there was much that I didn't like about it. So I don't know. It's just, the first movie, like you say, is a little bit brighter and a little bit more humor here and there. Maybe it's just more nostalgia too, because it's like yeah, the first right. one and everybody's beginning and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's a lot of it. All right. Anything else? How do we need to sew this up? Well, no mystery what we'll be talking about next time. <laughs> so y'all out there in podcast land, first we need a math consultant. <laughs> we want to know how far Gandalf fell. Yep. And then we need everybody listening to consider rewatching the return of the king for next week the return of the king that is what it's called right yeah, for some reason called. when i said it i was like, wait is that even the name <laughs> it's not jedi <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> am i confused <laughs> that was it okay so next week return of the jedi no. <laughs> The last in the trilogy. So, uh, glory to God. Thank you for listening. Uh, we want to encourage you to be creative. Uh, go out and write your own stories. See yourself as the main character in your own story. Be able to step outside and, and take a look at what God is doing through you. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.